We sing ancient words. Please stand. Please remain standing as we turn in God's Word to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. As we look at these words together, we need to remember, I know this is a very familiar parable, probably one of the best known parables, and it's easy for us to sit there and think that this is for someone else, but Jesus spoke this to these really what were subsistence farmers and fishermen. And he speaks the same thing to us today, because this is a message we need to hear, and uh, hear God's word. Verse 13, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? 
And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there, will, there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you which have, uh, you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I know John Grisham is kind of a, a favorite author of some, and in his book, The Testament, he begins the book with the dying words of a very wealthy man. The man said, I am an old man, lonely and in love, sick and hurting and tired of living. My assets exceed $11 billion. My companies own companies. He also fills in what, what his companies were all across the world. But then he says, my money is the root of my misery. I had three families, three ex-wives, who bore seven children, six of whom are still alive and doing all that they can to torment me. I am estranged from all the wives and all the children. They're gathering here today because I'm dying and it's time to divide the money. Now, admittedly, this is a novel, but this has been played out countless times. In fact, Solomon even reminds us that this is one of the struggles of life, that, that no matter what we grab a hold of, we've got to let go of sometime. And that's why he, rich and poor die alike. As Solomon shows in Ecclesiastes 2, he says, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. The message Christ lays out for us is the message really we need to hear. Because we've all been influenced by our culture's obsession of getting stuff. I struggle with it too. But at death's door, all the stuff we thought was so valuable will slip through our fingers. Sometimes maybe it'll pass to someone else for a time, but eventually it'll go in the dumpster. And on the threshold of eternity, all the plans and fantasies about how to get and keep stuff all quickly fade away. So Jesus warns us not to live for stuff here, but for God, to, to live with eternity in view. Because living for stuff is foolish, while living for God has benefits which are eternal. Now Jesus, has, in this passage, has been teaching about hypocrisy and fearless living uh, for God, Christ against all opposition. But this man hasn't listened. He's preoccupied. He, he, he's doing what we can do so easily where, where we've got something else that's pressing on our minds and it's hard for us to hear what God is saying. And so this man interrupts. He interrupts with a selfish concern. He, he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This man wanted Jesus to do what other rabbis did, and that is to settle a dispute over an inheritance. 
Sadly, struggles about inheritance are played out over and over, just as the Christian woman Dorothy Sayers wrote. She says, there is something about wills which bring out the worst side of human nature. People who under ordinary circumstances are perfectly upright and amiable go as curly as corkscrews and foam at the mouth whenever they hear the words, I devise and bequeath. Jesus doesn't deal with this man's issue because he came to bring men to God, not property to men. But this, and, and the other struggle was this man really wanted Jesus to serve him and not save him. And so Jesus reveals the heart of the issue, the heart of the problem, not just of this man, but even us, that living for stuff is foolish in light of eternity. See, the real problem was not a contested will, but the fact that this man was blinded by stuff because he's asking this question as he stood before the Savior of the world, the Prince of Life, from whom he could learn the only way of salvation and eternal life and learn of boundless joy and satisfaction, not temporary treasures. And so Jesus warns him and all around him in verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. You know, at the heart of, of wanting what is mine, wanting what, what I feel I deserve, is the sin of covetousness. And that's why Jesus really is taking this as an opportunity to challenge all of our priorities. To, to, to get us to repent from the discontentment we have gotten so comfortable with. In fact, really, our society and even our political system thrives on this sin of coveting. It tries to pull your heartstrings by it. Trying to get us to, to hold on desperately, and this is what coveting is, it's trying to hold on desperately to what we have. It can also be lusting for more or for what others have. It can be greedy. It can be about being greedy for what we need, or more than we need, I should say, or deserve, or more than God has already given us. And such greed can never be satisfied. It's like the leech, as the Scripture says. It always says more and more. And the reality is this, this sin pushes God out of our lives, which is why, as Jesus said elsewhere, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, it's hard. And the 10th commandment, though, because we're so stuck up, we'll, we'll, we'll get so stuck on the idea that this is just about money, but as the 10th commandment shows, there's a lot beyond money which we can covet. And this sin really is the root of many others. It was the root of Adam and Eve's sin. It's been an age-old struggle. In fact, Numbers 11 tells us that, that many of the children of Israel were buried in the graves of their craving, in the graves of their covetousness. And so Jesus reminds all of us that what we need to hear, that our life is not about the idolatry, the worship of stuff, but of God. And he adds these words, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Now, sometimes people like talking about stuff, stuff they've gained, the sales they, they've used to gain it, how they worked hard, you know, and, and, and we, we kind of tend to pra praise them for it. You know, they were, they were industrious, they worked hard, they were shrewd. Jesus says, focusing on stuff is covetousness. Because our self-worth, your self-worth, should never be tied to what we have or even what we don't have. But it's to be tied to a relationship and a life lived by faith and the God who has made you and I. And so Jesus illustrates this by telling a parable of a rich man whose land produced incredibly he didn't, he didn't get this by stealing or, or anything like that. There's nothing unrighteous that happened. And in verse 9, 17, though, we read, starting there through 19, we do read something, though. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink, and be merry. Let me ask you this morning, and I know this is one of the problems. We're living in a culture uh, where, where there, there's this class envy and class warfare. And, but we've got to ask ourselves, is it a sin to be rich, to have things? No. Abraham and Job were rich because God blessed them. So it's not a sin to be rich. Also, Jesus is not condemning saving for the future. Proverbs 13, 22 tells us a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So what's the problem here? It's a preoccupation and focus on self, not God. Notice how this man speaks in his own mind. He uses I and my 12 times. And what he's doing is he's proving that living for stuff ignores Jesus' lordship over our life. This man, as he said, I and my, what was believing he was the master of his own destiny. And everything really was the Lord's. And to be honest, both the rich and the poor struggle with this. We struggle with this. And we can't say, well, well, I'm poor. I, I live in a tiny house, you know, compared to other people. Because again, Jesus was giving this warning to people who had very little compared to us. Think about it. I tried to find this, the, the size of a, an early Jewish home, but I couldn't find that. But I did find that, that in the early part of, of this country, uh, settlers in this country had about 450 square feet in their homes. Do you dare to venture how much square feet we have? On average, they say 1,700 square feet. We live like kings compared to those before us. See, the problem was this man was worshiping the works of his own hand, which Isaiah 2.8 warns against. And this is what happens when, when we become forgetful of being thankful and content for God's blessings. 
when we start living for stuff rather than God. But see, that forgets Christ's lordship. It forgets the fact that we are nothing more than stewards of God's blessing in this life. It's his grain. It's his gold. You know what? Even our lives don't really belong to us because what does the scripture tell us? Particularly as Christians, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And you know what? One day we will give an account. That's Jesus' point here. One day we'll give an account for everything. Did we squander life or did we use it for his glory? Did we use our brains and abilities or, or were we lazy, excusing it as a simple life? <laughs> did we realize our family was not for our enjoyment or to serve us, but to strengthen each other in serving the Lord and for building God's kingdom? Did we indulge in God's blessings, or do we see that, that God has blessed us and filled our hands with good things so that we would enjoy him as our God and be able to serve him better? See, one day the Lord will ask for an account for the times of rest and the riches he has loaned us. Were we greedy for an easy life or for riches? We seek to use and build on these God-given gifts and talents and time for his glory or for our self-interest. Did we use all these things and see these are all tools that God's given so that we can point to others and come alongside of others and point them to Christ, our crucified and risen Savior. You see, one more point here is that living for the stuff also makes us ignore relationships. This self-obsessed man didn't understand. He was blessed to be a blessing, to help those around him. And as Ephesians 4.28 tells us, it's not just enough to keep from stealing from others. We need to be working hard. Why? Well, God tells us in his word, so we have something to give him who has a need. This is one way we love God and love our neighbors. Because God has not only saved us as a gift of his mercy, but he gives to us financial blessings. He gives time and talents and all sorts of things to help us serve him in his kingdom. See, God's purpose is not to give you or I a life of ease. You know what? This applies to retirement. In fact, this is the only time retirement is spoken of in the Bible. And yes, we can slow down. That's what the priests did in Numbers 8, 23 through 26. They slowed down. They didn't have to do all the work that they had done previously as they got older. But the idea of retirement in our day and age, actually, is actually a sinful one. And Jesus shows it through this man because he wanted to retire to a life of self-indulgence. You think about it, you listen to some people in the retirement, and what do they want to do? Well, they want to look for the, the buffets and, and figure out what time they should roll over in the sun, one side to the other. But see, God, God condemns a self-indulgent life, and, and living for stuff ignores the reality of the shortness of this life. 
In verse 20, we read, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You're not going to be able to hold on to them, Jesus is saying. The problem is this man had not planned for eternity. He didn't say, well, this blessing of God frees me up for, for serving God for kingdom work. No, he made wealth the end goal of his life. He thought it secured his life. He thought it would bring happiness. My dad used to comment about guys. He was watching this is before my dad retired too, and, and he hasn't retired to this either. He's been very active in a variety of things. But my dad used to comment when guys said, I'm retiring and he says, well, what are you going to do? And they said, well, I'm going to play golf. He said he could watch every one of them, and within 10 years, they were dead. It's foolish to think that the essence of life is in what we possess or the enjoyment that we deserve or that maybe even we can retire to a life of self-indulgence we're to serve God <laughs> with whatever strength that we have. That's why I was thrilled. I don't know if you remember this Grace Ployer. She was friends of, of the Reineken. Grace and, and uh, uh, Chester Ployer were friends of the Reinekens, and Grace just died a couple weeks ago. And as Grace and Chest in their old age and, and were not able to serve, what did they do? Every day they went through a list of the pastors and the churches and prayed for them. They were serving the Lord. And I'm always thrilled when I hear or happen across how, how many of, of the oldest here, often the ones which are, have the most struggles and are busy, are, are busy studying God's word, praying for others, calling on others, checking on each other, bearing one another's burdens as God commands, and, and that glorifies God. That's saving up riches in heaven or storing up riches in heaven. This brings us to the last brief point. We must live for God using the stuff he gives for his glory and his purposes. I know it's hard to hear, but to be honest, and this is a history major standing before you, we really live in the most covetous culture in the history of the planet. Everyone wants just a little bit more more wages, bigger house, more games to play. The list goes on. We need to know, though, that the essence of life is not stuff. You and I are not the houses of the cars we own or don't own. <laughs> the essence of our life, ultimately, is a life of faith lived for God. That's the only thing that's going to last. That's the only thing that's going to mean something in eternity. And, and anything we treasure or make the priority instead of or besides God, Jesus says is foolish. Jesus did not say the man, the one with the most toy in, toys in the end wins. That's a miserable life. Jesus tells us in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The fool lives for now. And Psalm 51, or 53, 1 tells us it's foolish to live as if there is no God. 
It's foolish to live and act as if God has not placed demands on your and my life in response to his salvation. And if we really want to understand what is most important, we need to do what many of the past have done. And we need to run to our death. And think of that last day. Our dying moments. Why work for stuff that we cannot hold on to? What's most important? And it's foolish to make everything but God the priority because one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God. You see, Jesus' point here is it's more important to live for the Lord than for stuff. And if in Christ, by his shed blood and righteous death, is gain, going home, if that's going to be the believer's best day, if this is, as God has testified, an entrance into paradise, all these things tell, is what the Bible tells us and God tells us death is, then we should see, as Jesus elsewhere tells us, we should see the most important thing for us to do is to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves don't come in and steal. Because stuff does not define us or give us security. <coughs> Only God does. That's why it's more important to live not for family or sports or wealth or the security of stuff, but for God. And seeing all these blessings that the Lord holds out to you and I. Even in this life, the, the material things we have, these are just on loan from God. They're just temporary. They're tools that God has given us to serve him through and give him thanks through. We need to see this. Because a sinner saved by grace, we're not brought into this world to buy, sell, and accumulate stuff or pleasure and then die. We're brought into this world to glorify God, to give thanks to him and use the good gifts of God, not as an end in themselves, but to serve him through, to bring glory to him, to be used to increase his kingdom, and even to prepare our hearts for eternity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to be honest, as American evangelicals, we are the richest people in the world. And we need this lesson. We need these words of Christ. You know, e even if a hearse does, for some reason as a joke, pull a U-Haul behind, uh, behind it, it really doesn't help anyone. One man thought he could change all this, in fact. He gave three friends $30,000 in cash, and he put it in an envelope, and he said, when I die, I want you to put this in my casket with me. After the funeral, one friend admitted, well, I put $10,000 in the coffin and I kept $20,000 to help my business. Another of the friends said he, he left $10,000 in cash and the rest he used to pay off a medical bill. And he wrote an IOU with that too. The last man said, you know, you two are so greedy. I gave him a personal check for the $30,000. Jesus' main point, the point he wants you and I to walk away with, is don't be a fool. 
Don't live to build your treasure on earth or think that we can take it with us. You and I need to hear this because the fool lives only for this life. And that's a miserable way to live. No matter what the treasure is you're clinging to, unless it's Christ, it's no treasure at all. And this life, with this life, which is a vapor, no matter what our age is, it won't be long before any of us stand before God. So we need to be wise. We need to repent. We need to trust God's grace in Christ and live for him and not stuff. Let's pray. Almighty God and most gracious Heavenly Father, It's so easy to sit there and take this parable and think, well, this, is, this really is for someone else. But to be honest, we are so tempted to be like this rich fool, to live a life of idolatry on stuff, even on a life of ease, instead of the kingdom of God, seeking to serve you even through the riches we have, even through the riches you've blessed us with. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to put off the sin of covetousness. Forgive us for being discontent, wanting something better, something more. We have to confess this is a deep-rooted sin in us, in our generations. And so we pray, transform us and change our hearts so that we will not be fixated on the stuff or even our enjoyment of life, but on your glory, on your righteousness, and being used to serve and grow your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.